Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. Well, you pick up any copy of the Trade Daily through the last week and he's staring at you out of the front of it. And I'm delighted to say that the man of the moment, Magic Marquand, for it is pronounced that way, I've just been told, joins me now. Tom, welcome and thanks for, thanks for coming uh, in, in what's an incredibly busy time for you. But when you, things are going this well, you don't mind all the attention, do you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've never seen my picture so many times on a paper. But um, as you say, things are going great and um, it certainly makes everything feel a little easier when it is. And it is Marquand. We've, 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 we've established this now. You, your surname gets pronounced <laughs> yeah. 85 different ways. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I genuinely... I think it's uh, it's one of them. As long as it comes out roughly in the right area, everyone knows what you're on about. Um, but yeah, Mark wonders how uh, how we were always sort of grown up and taught to taught to be. So let's take it back then. Let's rewind all the way back to to when you were growing up and where that first connection, if any, with racing came. Or was there much when yeah. you were when you were when you were little? There wasn't like there wasn't any sort of mad connection with racing as such. It was horses. Like uh, my grandma had a horse that sort of was for hunting and dressage and auntie lived on a farm and there was little bits but living near Cheltenham was sort of probably the main catalyst between it all and um, like going going down there when school was on I'd see my headmaster and he'd just walk by and go Shh, <laughs> and just carry on walking um, you know that that was that was probably the thing that got me the most involved and then obviously pony racing and pony club and things like that it just sort of steadily built um, over the years. I mean had it not been for pony racing would it have happened? Definitely, it definitely wouldn't have happened as quickly um, as to whether it would have happened. I, like, I'd like to think that I would have got involved somehow, but genuinely, without pony racing, I mean, there's not a not a hope that I'd have been champion apprentice in my first year riding. Like, it, there would have there would have been no way because it just it puts the building blocks in place for sort of the start of a career, and and then it gets involved with the right people. Um, you know, I, I guess without pony racing, I'd have never met Holly. Uh, that means I'd have never met a dad who would have never got me a job at Richard Hannon's. I'd have never gone to America to Tom Morley before I rode, which was sort of vital experience. And, and you know, all these little things that accumulated mm. to start off a career, it, it, none of it would have happened. I mean, how much planning was it on your part, or was it just a series of happy accidents? Uh, yeah, I mean, genuinely probably sort of a bit of an accident with a lot of things. Like, I ended up snicking a friend's pony that was 12-2 and he grew to six foot Bertie Bent and you know they were very kind to, to let us use him and uh, for my first season pony racing and then we bought one and, and you know it, it was kind of everything just fell into place and I seem to say that an awful lot with a lot of things but genuinely I, I, I don't know I guess it was always self-driven so it was probably more likely to fall into place when when it's something that you mm. want to do. Did you always feel very comfortable on a on a horse or on a pony? Right yeah. From the first yeah, loved it. Um, you know, mum, mum and dad. We sort of went off for a couple of years on a boat, uh, uh, and they took us out of school. And my only sort of, my only condition for sort of accepting to go away was we have to ride a horse in every country and things like that. So you know, from a young age, it was always at the forefront of my mind, and it was always something that was going to be part of my life, whether racing or just horses. Like it, it was. Um, yeah, it was always sort of ingrained in me. Who knows what will happen to, to a lot of families and the way they think about how they bring up their children after, after COVID and after lockdown, because it's forced a lot of people to think in a very different way. Your parents were thinking in a different way when they, yeah. they took you and your sister out on a, on a boat for, for two years. Just tell me a little bit about that. How old were you? Yeah, I was 11, sort of 11, 12, um, just finishing primary school. And my sister was three years older, so she, would, she came back to go straight into GCSEs. And it was more just dad, dad wasn't 
that happy with his job and they, we've all, we'd always sailed and we'd always had a boat um, like nothing ridiculous but just a, no. a small boat go down to the coast have sail for the weekend things like that and you know it was a great childhood and, and I only now do I realise how much of an incredible opportunity that was like it was just it was it was amazing and, and you know as an 11 year old it completely went over my head sort of what was going on <laughs> but um, so it's 11 to 13 yeah yeah and so you're so, homeschooled presumably during that uh, time yeah she'd call it that. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't do an awful lot I wasn't really that interested in it but I, no to be fair I read a lot of books and that was that was as far as I went um, Amber my I sister I should say self taught yeah, yeah yeah self taught I like that um, Amber my sister did a lot more because she I mean she's she's more sort of academically uh, into all of that sort of thing than I would be. But, um, yeah, I was running around with a spear gun and a scuba tank just trying to shoot everything that I could. So, do you know, I was a, oh, where I was did you, the Where did you one. go? Um, we started in England and, and, and went down, basically down the coast, France, Spain, Portugal, North Africa, back up Spain, Italy, and obviously Greece and finished up in Crete. Um, so we literally just, if we liked somewhere, we stayed for a couple of weeks, couple of months. If we didn't, we just move the next day and keep it going. <laughs> it sounds an amazing way of life. I mean, do you look back on it now and think it's given you a richness, a perspective, a, a, a hinterland that will be with you forever? Yeah, definitely. I think, I think and it, it was probably one of the main things as well that helped, you know, jumping into racing at 16. It's, um, yeah, it's not a straightforward world. And, no. and, and, you know, a level of maturity has to sort of be reached fairly quickly. And I think that probably had me half a step in the right direction before I even begun because, I mean, how can you not mature when you're living on a boat for two years and meeting strangers and doing different things, going and seeing different places instead of sat in school looking at a book and messing about and just flinging elastic bands at people. <laughs> That's the reality, I think, more than anything. You're selling it to me. And yeah. you mentioned your sister, Amber, who's not in, involved in racing, but is she's a she's an academic, isn't she? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, she's actually just started a new job as uh, a teaching assistant and loving it. So, you know, she's she's gone down a very different path, but... Um, you know, we get on well, and we had a we had a an incredible upbringing, and we were very lucky. So, yeah, it's um, not a bad way to start life. So you start at Hannans at sixteen, just sixteen. Yeah, sixteen. Walked out of school, went to Tom Morley, who you know very well, I do. Uh, for a month because I had uh, sort of that month between going to the racing school to be able to leave school. And Tom um, Tom trains in New York. Mm. Uh, Tom and his wife Maggie, who's a TV analyst for, for Naira, and they're, they're great people. I know they looked after you a lot, and he follows your career <laughs> on an almost daily basis, doesn't he? Yeah, they were, they were fantastic. I mean, genuinely, I flew over there not quite knowing what to expect, and they took me in as their child. I rode out in the morning with them, went racing with Tom, and, and, and obviously Maggie was doing all the TV bits. So it was a great experience, and again, like just complete luck of the joy everything fell into place i found out about tom through um george daly who's his godfather uh, through pony racing and it's just it's amazing how everything worked and yeah, again just got, got lucky landing with tom and maggie because they were absolutely brilliant so did that give you a bit more confidence when you came back to richard hannon as you said a big yard lots of horses but not just that lots of people lots of young people trying to get on so how do you how do you go about trying to make yourself first among equals yeah, definitely. Um, like without doubt, it helped with that. I mean, I think when I was there, there must have been seven or eight apprentices between the two yards. So I, I guess at, at Everly, I think there was three of us and the the rest up at Heritage. But I mean, it's um, you know it's a competitive environment. <laughs> like you know, you're all you're all young. You're all trying to get to the same place, and you know, I guess it's um, everyone's working hard because 
that's what you have to do. So, you know, doing things that make you stand out, I don't know, that, that's mm. kind of what you have to do. And um, How do you do that? Work hard. I, like, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I was very lucky. I had Steve Knight down at Everly, who, you know, Grand National winning jockey, people like that, yeah, you can only but have a lot of respect for, and, and having people like him on my side was was huge. Um, but is it, is it the way you carry yourself as much as the way you, you ride the horses? Yeah, I think so. You know, being an apprentice is, is not just about riding the horses. You know, there was a lot of work in the yard and, and you know, getting up early, mucking out, helping a head lass with feeding the yard and little things like that, sweeping a barn in between lots, riding out of breakfast, <laughs> just little little things um, that at the time seemed so insignificant and that, well, that's what you do because you want to get somewhere. Um, looking back now, it's probably, you know, I, I don't know, was I working harder than anyone else I'm not sure everyone was working hard but you know it, it, it must have worked in some manner now you were already uh, going out with Holly at this point weren't you yeah yeah we were we were together quite young uh, when we were pony racing and she actually came to Richards about seven eight months after me because she'd had a spell at Devon's for a year or two and um, Richards was sort of the next step up the ladder for her as well but she was up at Heritage and I was down at Everly um, so there was still a work-life split at that point. <laughs> and so when can you remember the first time you you met her when you were much younger? Yeah we, we, we pony raced together and you know it wasn't a it wasn't a bang me that was us it was sort of you know we knew each other for a year or two we ended up at the racing school together doing pony racing courses and things like that and it was um you know, because we were in the same area for pony racing, we were always around each other, so it was, uh, yeah, I guess it, it gradually happened. And so now she's got a, a career that is going from strength to strength. You've got a career that's going from strength to strength. Um, how straightforward do you find it to, to manage your, your, your lives together, if you like? Yeah, I mean, gen genuinely, I, th I think we probably both can't believe how well the last few years have worked out. I mean, take two 13-year-olds and get them uh, to achieve their goals sort of within six, seven years, eight, eight years is is mental. But um, honestly, I guess because we've always been used to it at pony racing, it doesn't feel like anything's changed. <laughs> like, it's mad. So, yeah, in our house, it's kind of, I don't know, it's just a normal household to us. Yeah. But, to, to, what, to what extent ha or how have you helped each other, do you think? Is it just I mean, that shared experience? Yeah, I mean, honestly, we don't really, you know, we wouldn't go home and sit in front of replays and go, oh, you should have done this, you should have done that. There's none, none of that. It's just uh, our careers have, have, have built over the last few years and I guess, you know, it's been... I've, I've found it amazing watching Holly the last two years in particular because, you know, she, she had a quiet start. Like, it took two or three years to get going and build up a bit of momentum and then the last two years she's flown and seeing the confidence difference and... And the difference in sort of our way of life together now, we're both busy and, and, and having that success is, there's a, there's a large contrast, you know, from things like, you know, we lived in, a, in, in one of Richard's houses down at Everly, a bungalow and on the yard. And I mean, it's like four years ago now, we were able to sort of buy a house together in Hungerford and, and, and you know, it just, it changes so much, but it feels so much the same. But you're obviously able to detach yourself from the rigours of the sport when when you when you shut the front door, which is very encouraging to hear. Because I, you know, you know, jockeys who go home, stick the 
stick the replay on and beat themselves up. Yeah, I mean, I, I, everyone's different. I wouldn't be able to do it. I, it's, a, it's, a, it's a 24-7 job at the best of times, and I think if you're going home and taking work home with you to, to a sort of dangerously uh, high-intensity... Yeah. Y- you're not, it, there's, there's, there's no sustainability there because you're just going to end up the whole time thinking about racing and stressed out. And you know, I think we're we're very lucky in the fact we can go home and switch switch off. Yeah, and because um, for all everyone says how nice you are, and I can I can vouch for the fact that you are a very nice human being. And for all everyone says how nice Holly is, you've got to have an edge, a determination to succeed at that level, to succeed at the elite level. So I suppose at some point you have to be able to leave it and say not now. Yeah, I think you know that must be every walk of life. I mean, obviously, we've not experienced anything different in the fact that we've always mm. been jockeys and always wanted to do that. But, you know, I'd, I'd well imagine sort of people high up in business, they don't go home and talk to their wives about no. what deal they just pulled in. You know, it might get mentioned or, you know, but you wouldn't sit down at dinner and have a two-hour conversation about what you've done in that day. And, and I think we're very much the same, you know. Yes, racing gets talked about and mentioned, but it's not the sort of... Be all and end all. Yeah, yeah, it's not the only focus when we get home, which I think is essential. But what you do have is, of course, you have the empathy. Yeah, yeah, without doubt. I mean, look, Holly had an incredible Saturday uh, a few weeks ago, um, riding five winners at Windsor, and I had a bang average day, and that sort of levels it out. And equally, yesterday, you know, a great day, and, and last Saturday I had a great day, and Holly probably didn't so much, but it's not. Uh, that's probably why we, I don't know, is that why sort of everything's happened the way it has, the fact that neither of us get too high because you're constantly just levelling each other out without even thinking about it. I, I don't know, it must be part of the environment that we're in. And you were saying that, you know, two or three weeks ago, you were frustrated because <laughs> things weren't really going quite the way you'd expected. We probably didn't notice. No. You, you did. Yeah, very much so. Um, you know, but uh, yeah, it probably went unnoticed bar a couple of sort of high-profile seconds and whatnot things not quite going to plan but you know I think it's it's as a as a sports person as a jockey I think it's very easy to focus on that day and that minute and and sort of think things are going terribly and actually if you span out to a week span out to a month span out to a year two years the bigger picture tells such a different story to that particular minute or hour um and you know as you said I had those two weeks that were a bit sticky and um it, I, yeah, it's very easy to just get zoned in on those two weeks when actually if I went back sort of a month or seven, eight weeks, it would have told such a different story. If I showed you your first winner now on Mercado at Kempton at the end of 2014, you look at yourself here, what would you think? Yeah, I mean, genuinely, I can't believe that was only 2014. It's it's crazy to think that wasn't even six years ago. It's not very long ago. It's not very long ago at all. And, and you know, I... It's that that was sort of I think only maybe 15 rides in or something, and you know pony racing and and things like that got me to the point where my first winner I was able to look sensibly okay, um, you know, and and yeah to think that wasn't that long ago is, is crazy, and Facebook keeps reminding me every month every week where you know five years ago today I lost my five pound claim, seven pound claim, three pound claim, whatever, and and, and the steps. It's very easy to feel like you've been at it a long time, I think, mm. and actually things like that just remind you, you know, I'm, I'm still relatively new to everything and new to the game and to to sort of just 
have a breather and think, yeah. you know, everything's going all right and pretty quick and pretty smooth and uh, there's time. So when you race through that claim, when it goes so quickly, is there a point when you're, you know, you're barely 20 years old that you're thinking, well, have I gone through this too quickly? Yeah, without, without doubt. I mean, it happens to everyone um, that sort of rides out their claim in a, in a pretty short space of time. You, you get everyone... You can't do that. It won't happen. You've not built up enough connections. Um, and when your claim's gone, you'll be done. And, and you know, in a, in a way, I guess, yeah, it's a fear. But I was very lucky. I was at Richard Hannon's, uh, a huge yard with lots of good horses. I had good people surrounding me. And ge- genuinely, I don't think there was even a lull. I mean, mm. on stats there might have been, I don't know. But it didn't feel like it. And that... That sort of year, I rode out my claim in, I think it was July, and nearly managed to be champion apprentice again. And I, Josie, Josie beat me by a good few winners in the end. But to have a season like that in the year that people said I might fail or would fail, mm. it's, um, I guess it was a confidence boost to then carry it through the winter and into next year. And genuinely, Richard uh, sort of made that time of my life so, so easy because... You know, while I was working very hard in the yard still, he was putting me on horses like, oh, this is us. I, I know my first Channel 4 and it was like Nail up at York, or ITV, sorry, um, Nail up at York and things like that. You know, normal apprentices don't get opportunities like that. And, and you know, I I count myself extremely lucky that I was getting those those days in the saddle. Oh, this is us, you mentioned. Yeah. Smashing horse. Oh, he's a legend. I've actually got to try and beat him today, which is a shame. But uh, <laughs> at Chelmsford, no, he was he was great. And and this was genuinely one of my first sort of big moments. He was he was strongly fancied. I think he had a sensibly low weight. It was while he was still well handicapped. And um, you know, I got Eddie Greatrex up size me, who was one of my best mates, and and similarly doing incredibly well at the time. And um, to pull that off. I th- yeah, it was fantastic. And to ride a big one like that for your boss is an extra buzz. He's got a fellow called Ryan Moore riding in this afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Might give him a few pointers. Yeah, I mean, look, he's he's been a great horse. And Luke Catton the other day had a ride on him, sort of Richard's, um, one of Richard's apprentices. And he's just been that great horse. Everyone's been able to have a go on. He runs fantastic nearly every time. He doesn't let you down. And... Look, he's, he's still going a few years on from that. I think I was a three-pound claim when I rode in there. He gave him my first winner in Dubai, first listed winner. Um, he's, been a, he's been a fantastic horse. Uh, I mentioned Ryan, and, and you, you were talking in the, in the racing post today about getting the mickey taken out of you by some of the, the <laughs> senior riders for doing you know, a lot of different media. Um, you're on this programme today, but you know, you, that doesn't make you an exception (laughs) particularly but some of the more innovative work that you've been doing that Kieran Fallon's been doing that Asheen Murphy in particular has been doing and you're all in 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 the same sort of management as well um you believe that you've got a responsibility to the sport to do more of that yeah definitely um you know times are changing I don't it's not just racing that's changed it's the world you know social media age is taking over um as to how everyone goes about their daily life and I think you know racing as a sport uh, we've probably been labeled as quite backwards towards that side of it before and I think it's only something that can be taken forward and carried with. Australia is one place that I really did notice that there's so much more of a media savvy environment yeah. and, and even with owners because the, the syndicates are so important over there. You know, every time you get off a horse in a trial, a gallop, a, a race, you've got a video camera in front of you, you say what you think, you try and just keep people feeling involved because 
I mean, that's what racing is, and it, and it and it's become even more so relevant now than ever in England because not many owners are managing to go racing. If they are going racing, you know, they're probably not having that same feeling of um, being connected with jockeys and trainers and, and, and actually their horse. So ultimately, things like that, if it can bring new people in yeah. and keep people that are already in happy, it's just a, a no-brainer. And M3 Media have uh, been doing such a great job at thinking of different content and, and new content that um, that can hopefully give people that sort of... Uh, yeah, involvement and um, feeling of being connected. You mentioned Australia. You you appeared to be popular in Australia, <laughs> yeah. but then you were also unpopular in Australia. I mean, they they yeah. kind of love you, but they don't really want you back. It's a, it's a strange kind of um, a strange one, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, look, I was so lucky down there. I went I went over um, straight after I lost my. Cl- oh no, actually, I hadn't lost my claim yet. I went over to David Hayes and Tom Dabnig as an apprentice for mm. a month. Um, and and that was courtesy of Sheikh Mansour, and and that was all sorted out, and that was an incredible experience. I rode a couple of winners for for David in the city, and loved it. I was planning to go back there sort of a couple of winters later, because um, I wanted to sort of keep the momentum up in England. I didn't want to go away, and and Tom Ward, who was uh, assistant to Richard at the time, and obviously who I was working very closely with, was sort of adamant I had to go to Sydney and not back to Melbourne. I was kind of I don't really, I didn't really know, and. Um, he put me in touch with John O'Shea, who, who he was assistant to over there when he was mm-hmm. at Godolphin. And, and genuinely, the first three weeks, I was thinking, what have I done? I, I was sat uh, riding out every day early and not struggling to even get going at all. But we concentrated on the city rides, not going to sort of provincial and country. And I was kind of debating whether I'd go down to Melbourne and, and just say, done in Sydney, it's not working. I'll go to Melbourne and ride a bit for David and Tom. And then all of a sudden, I rode a Saturday double um, for Coolmore for David and Tom and, and one for John and it just exploded and then yeah. obviously going back this year was just incredible. And this year you're taking yeah. a British horses, a horse you won on yesterday, a Dave over there and yeah. you're winning a, a whole load of Group 1s for, for William Haggis. I think yeah. this, and it's significant this because the, the pandemic was already in, in full swing if you like and you were racing behind closed doors and we spoke to you after this, and you were giving everybody here a, a massive boost. Yeah, I mean, g- genuinely, uh, I thought it was amazing the reception that it all got from sort of the wider uh, racing world, not just Australia, because, as you say, it was the only thing that was happening. Mm. Like, no, anywhere, anywhere in the else. world, pretty much. Yeah, exactly. I think Hong Kong was the only other place that was racing um, sort of on a daily basis, and, and it was great. I mean, how, how well cited by William to spot... Um, these races for both Young Rascal and Adabe and, and take the initiative to take them down there. And I mean, timing and luck was on our side as to being there then. But even in saying that, if racing, if, if, if coronavirus hadn't have happened, racing carried on here, I'd have still been there and still that would have happened. Um, possibly it might not have got noticed as much because there'd have been sort of good yeah. racing. I think uh, the Greenham wasn't long after that and things. But yeah, it was just well received and luck. <laughs> I mean, the Aussies are saying you're bringing your strengths to Australia, but what did you pick up from them? What did you take back here? A, a lot of things. I mean, they, you know, it's it, it's very obvious our riding style is extremely different in Australia to uh, the typical Australian riding style. But I mean, in saying that, um, you know, their, their sort of tactical awareness over there is is phenomenal, genuinely, in the city. You miss half a beat and 
race over, gone. Yeah. You're at the back of the telly and on a horse that's actually sensibly sort of fancied or okay. So it's very, the racing is very sharp and it definitely, it's definitely done me the world of good going over there and spending time there because whenever I come back, I feel like a different person when I'm riding. Like genuinely, just everything here just seems to fall right without even having yeah. to think about it. Um, so your awareness of pace is yeah, exactly. so much better. Yeah, that's it. And people have gone over there plenty. I mean, James Doyle, William Buick, Ryan Moore, that, you know, they've, they're world-class jockeys and even they say you have to be so on the ball to be there um, and, and you come back and notice it. Let's talk about the last two weeks. It's been sensational. <laughs> Great period of time for you. The St. Ledger last weekend on Galileo Chrome. It, the circumstances surrounding the victory almost as extraordinary as the victory itself. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, I was sat there sort of Thursday. I had a ride in the in the St. Ledger on English King thinking, happy days. You know, he looked like that step up and trip were doing the world of good. Then got to Friday morning, didn't have a ride in the race because he was going to France instead because um, that was a, 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 the more favourable race. Um, so I said, I think oh, I'll go right. I'm going to have to watch the legend now and, and sit there and sort of, uh, you know, watch everyone else do it. And then next thing we were at the races Friday, and obviously Shane Cross uh, tested positive for for coronavirus. And um, you know, my agent Sash did a great job on getting onto it all pretty quickly. He spoke with Joseph, and and you know, I had a lot of people that that helped out getting the yeah. ride. Uh, I know Kevin Blake was very quick to jump on it, and the same as Sally Ann Grassick and Matt Chapman, and you know, everyone was straight on to me. You have to ring him, and and look, I I can only thank Joseph so much and the owners for having me aboard because you know there was plenty of people there that could have could have been aboard him and 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 equally the other horse in the Champagne Stakes as well, and they both had great chances and. To be on that list, to, for someone like that to ride in the classic is mind blowing, and for it to have all come off, I mean, you know, I, I know how hard that must have been for Shane Cross to mm. have sort of experienced that, and I can only compare it to if English King had won the Derby, maybe, you know, I I dread, I dread to think how that would have felt inside, you know, I spoke to him after and. Fair play to him. He said he, he cheered him home and then just sat on the sofa and... Amazing was... how how this truncated season, this sort of short <laughs> season, seems so long. You talk about not getting the ride on English King in the derby. It feels like an eternity ago. Yeah. And it's all we talked about for about two <laughs> weeks, the fact that you'd, you'd lost the ride. I mean, is that... How quickly was that ancient history? Yeah, quickly. I mean, if anything, I think it's sort of... It carried on a lot longer than I thought it would because, you know, it was kind of, well, yeah, I've lost the ride to one of the most uh, famous and popular jockeys in the world. Yes, it was a disappointment, but uh, I respected Bjorn and and Ed's decision. Like, it was something that I just thought, oh, it's done, it's fine. And and actually, it carried on a lot longer than I thought and a a big fuss was made out of it, even though... Because it gave us all something to talk about. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) Yeah, I suppose, yeah. You know how the game works Yeah, very true, yeah. But, um, you know, I got lucky in that situation, getting aboard Khalifa Sat for Ahmed Al-Sheikh and Andrew finishing second. And then, equally in saying that, I've I've (laughs) managed to get lucky again, which is um, pretty incredible. Well, the Wheel of Fortune turned in your favour again yesterday, and I think this is a good way of rounding this off, Tom. I mean, I could talk for hours and hours, <laughs> but how did you win the Air Gold Cup? Yeah. Because anyone who'd backed this horse, there were plenty of them, would have been tearing the ticket up at halfway. Yeah, um, I mean... Unless we better just pick him out for anyone who... He, he's the yellow cap of Sheikh Ahmed bobbing up and down with a bow. I think you've probably got about five horses behind you at this point. Yeah, uh, genuinely sir, uh, extremely impressed by this horse. I mean physically he is 
uh, an absolute specimen of him. He's he's massive and 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 certainly looks the part. And you know, we went into Goodwood as favourite for the Stewards Cup, and uh, I probably you know I probably made the mistake in riding him a bit too positive myself. And William spoke about it after, um, and you know I wasn't going to make that mistake again. And and that's where I find I just find it very easy with the with the relationship with William Haggis and his team. In general, they do such a great job in lining horses up for the for the big day, right. and and he just says, put him back on his hocks and get him to relax, get the first half right, and then do what you do. And I, I mean, going out with that mindset for a favourite for a, a race like the Agold Cup is just like it's it's nuts because it just makes you think oh, it's a race. Like you know, you're not you're not sat at the start going, oh god, I've got to get out of the gates, I've got to get handy, I've got to follow this, I've got to follow that. You just jump out, get the horse to relax, and as he showed there, when they're good enough, they win. And, and I mean, yeah, I'm blessed to be getting aboard horses that are capable of doing things like that because that was um, pretty exceptional. Well, Tom, it's been a, a joy to have you in the studio. I'm sorry we can't talk for, <laughs> for longer, but um, it's been brilliant. Thank you so much and best of luck at Chelmsford this afternoon. Thank you very much for having me in. I really enjoyed it. Tom Marquand. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albastiet Cruel, Dubai.